Hello, everyone. It's Thursday, March 29th, 2018 at noon Eastern time, and this is Higher Ed Special Edition. I'm your host, Andrea Boyle-Tippett from the University of Delaware. Welcome to an episode with possibly the best title we've ever had, Gators, Haters, and the First Amendment. We'll discuss controversial speakers on today's live broadcast, and it's definitely one of the most vexing issues on college campuses, as we all know. Our guests from the University of Florida will recount what happened when a white supremacist came to their campus this past fall. Their lessons learned may save all of us some headaches when we face similar situations. Today's Higher Ed Special Edition is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. Episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. We encourage you to join the conversation as well, so share your thoughts and questions via Twitter, and we'll discuss them during this hour. The hashtag for that is Higher Ed Live. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital-first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. We know you've wondered what prospective teens are thinking when they receive and read, or honestly ignore, your institution's recruitment marketing. In partnership with NRCCUA, the myth-busting enrollment marketing research uncovers the best marketing channels and communications preferences that have the biggest influence on prospective teens' perceptions of your institution. The white paper is available for on-demand download. Get your copy today and identify what encourages prospective teens to apply to your institution. We'll be tweeting out a link shortly. All of our episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com, or you can take it with you by subscribing to the podcast on any of the podcast apps. Today's episode is made possible by PRSA's Counselors to Higher Education Professional Interest Section. Counselors to Higher Ed provides PR professionals working in colleges and universities with publications, insights into the best ways to promote the value, power, and appropriate role of communications and marketing functions within your institutions, and terrific virtual events and networking opportunities. In just two weeks, we'll be in Nashville for the PRSA Counselors to Higher Ed Senior Summit Conference, and there's still time to sign up and join us for some really fascinating sessions on crisis communications, thought leadership, collaboration, and lots more. We'll tweet out a link for that as well. And now let's chat with today's guests, Nicole Yucht and Darren Baxley of the University of Florida. Nicole is Assistant Vice President of Communications, a position she's held since 2014. Together with her talented team, she oversees the institution's marketing and identity standards, media and public relations, social media, web, and campus outreach efforts. Every day, they have the opportunity to present UF to the world through inspired storytelling and illuminating visuals on unexpected channels. Deputy Police Chief Darren Baxley began his career at the University of Florida PD in 1992. During his tenure, he has commanded both the patrol and investigations divisions and served on the university's behavioral consultation committee for threat assessment. He also has experience in background investigation, polygraph examinations, internal affairs, community service, and he has been in many of our audience's members' shoes as a public information officer. Darren has extensive experience planning and managing large-scale special events, including the one we will be discussing today. So welcome, Nicole and Darren. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. So we are going to actually um, toggle over to a presentation because we've got some slides that we think are probably a little bit more engaging than, than our faces. So if you'll hold on a minute. 
And we are hoping that this is a topic that no one will ever have to deal with. But if you do, we have some lessons learned and, and some um, ideas and takeaways for you. So for the next 45 minutes or so, we'll be talking about that. This, um, this is a timeline of, of the events. Uh, we knew that uh, it was not gonna be a typical fall semester when Cameron Paget from the National Policy Institute reached out to us in early August to bring Richard Spencer to our campus. Um, we, I don't think we were terribly surprised uh, that, that speakers like this were, um, were going to eventually come to UF. Uh, they were making the rounds at, um, at major public universities. We didn't really know that much about him, um, so, but we did start planning in early August um, as we would any outside speaker. Uh, but then uh, that weekend after he approached us or NPI approached us, we watched in horror and disbelief as the events unfolded in Charlottesville. And then we knew that this was not just a controversial speaker. Uh, the stakes were suddenly exponentially higher. Um, so at that point then, um, this, this became something that law enforcement was very um, intimately involved with planning. Yeah, it, you know, Nicole's right. You know, we were vaguely aware of, of lots of controversial speakers that kind of hit the college circuit every year. Uh, specifically that Richard Spencer, we didn't have any experience with him. And when we first learned that he was trying to rent space on the University of Florida campus, we reached out to some of our other sister institutions, maybe some of you on this live stream today, and wanted to know what it was like when he came to visit you. Um, but just like Nicole said, the events that happened in Charlottesville really changed the dynamic for us. And it went from being, um, you know, the typical controversial event that we're well versed in handling um, to something that just set the table to be completely different, which ultimately turned out to be the single largest deployment of law enforcement resources in the state of Florida for a non-weather related event um, and ended up in the, the governor of the state of Florida declaring a um, state of emergency for the entire state when Mr. Spencer came. So we had the unenviable task of preparing for his visit um, during this planning cycle that you see in front of you on this screen Every day during the week, uh, myself and members of Nicole's team and many, many other teams around the university and also our external law enforcement and public safety partners throughout the state would meet to prepare for this. Um, and we were determined not to let uh, the tragic events that happened in Charlottesville happen here. That was our overriding uh, motto is, you know, not on our ground. Um, and keep in mind though, that after Charlottesville, we were faced with a stream of uh, social media uh, threats that uh, indicated that, you know, Gainesville, Florida was going to be the next uh, bloodbath, uh, that Florida is a stand your ground state and, and wrongly stating that Florida was an open carry state. And there was quite a bit of uh, uh, social media and internet threats based around his visit, both from his supporters, but also from people that were diamet diametrically opposed to his point of view. And they were bound and determined um, to come to Gainesville, Florida and try to stop him and or support him. And so this is the challenge that we faced leading up to October the 19th. 
And in the middle of all that, we did have a major weather event. We did. <laughs> so we kind of paused, put pause, and then um, planned that and got through that. Ironically, his original date was the date that Hurricane Irma hit. So who knows what would have happened. Um, so we committed at the very beginning that our communications approach was going to be timely and informative. And uh, we, we also, though, knew that we were limited due to security concerns and also general counsel advisement. So early on, we decided what type of information we would and would not discuss. And most importantly, we were determined to have one unified voice about that, this situation. So we created a funnel, so to speak, of communications channels where we could receive and send information um, we set up an information line and a mailbox for people to call or email with questions or voice their concerns or or just sound off. And and as Darren said, there was a lot of sounding off. We we actually received too many calls for the system to handle on the hotline. Um, so we ended up having to change that system to a TSS mailbox. And we assigned a, a person to check the inquiries real time and respond daily. Um, Questions and concerns came up from many different places. And so we wanted to make sure that, um, that we had a response. And so we identified a single spokesperson to share that response on behalf of the institution. And she did a, a fantastic job there. Um, before the event, so we had, we had identified um, over the course three different spokespeople. Um, at, at different times. So before the event, the spokesperson and the communications lead was from our office. Uh, during the event, the spokesperson role was assigned to the UF Police Department PIO. And, uh, and then we had decided that if there were a major incident, the spokespeople for, um, for on behalf of, of the incident would be our chief of police and our president. We made those decisions very early in the planning stages so that everyone knew their roles and responsibilities. And then this unified approach was really important so that everyone was hearing the same messages. Now they interpreted them differently often, um, but but that we had um, that we were reaching our, our audiences. So this this slide really shows the the vast uh, the number of people that we were that we were um, thinking about um, in addition to statewide, but then also the uh, we have a very large campus, many buildings here. So th there was a lot of logistics to plan and think about. Nicole said, uh, you know, in this communications plan, it was very important for us to try to be as transparent as we possibly could be in our preparations leading up. Not only the previous slide that talked about all the students faculty, staff, alumni. Um, another important component for that, to me anyway, in law enforcement, was the parents of our current students. Uh, most of them don't live here in the Gainesville, Florida area. They, they have a, a, a little bit of familiarity with campus, um, but when they would see media coverage of Mr. Spencer coming, of the police response that was preparing a lot of them who lived very far away, uh, we're very fearful for their student safety. And part of our main goal in our plan was to, was to let those parents know that um, their student was going to be safe no matter what, that um, classes, even though that was controversial, would not uh, be impacted by Mr. Spencer's visit, um, but that we were going to have a very robust uh, law enforcement 
presence uh, surrounding his visit, not only the day of, um, but as you'll see from some of the slides that we'll show you in a minute, uh, even the week leading up to his visit, uh, we significantly increased our presence. And this slide, uh, the photo on the left, highlights one of our every morning planning sessions that we held uh, not only with our campus law enforcement, which is about 90 sworn, but the uh, our other uh, community partners, both local, state, and federal, attended these uh, to help us prepare for this event. Again, with the goal of not having a similar situation that happened in Charlottesville and then other places that have had breakdowns after controversial events. So this slide kind of shows you the, the area where the actual event took place. Um, as you can see from the barricades and the roadblock, uh, this is actually the day before. Um, we began setting up in preparation for this, and we tried to create an area on campus as far away from the campus core as we could, but still on campus to uh, abide by our legal obligations to allow him to rent space. We moved his original crest from the middle of campus, uh, which was in our student union, which was particularly challenging and troublesome, um, not only from a security standpoint, but from a disruption to the students' lives. We ended up negotiating with him and moved him out to the far edge of our campus. Um, and we tried our best to set up a, a, a cordon area out there that would protect the, the, our population from whoever decided to actually attend this event. Um, and then the ones that did decide to attend, we tried to create a space to separate both the people that were there for Mr. Spencer in support of him, which were very small, and the, the vast majority of the people that showed up uh, to protest his, his uh, presence on our campus. And again, this, these are another series of slides to illustrate some of the preparation that went in. We used a combination of road closures, water barriers, what I refer to here as bicycle or French barricades. Um, and this is actually an illustration of the uh, entrance that we set up from out in the protest area. If you chose to go into the, the Performing Arts Center, which is the top left slide, uh, you had to go through this, uh, what we affectionately called the snake. Um, it was about a 250 yard long uh, tunnel that was surrounded by law enforcement, uh, ultimately ended in magnetometers at the end so that we could guarantee that there would be no weapons inside that venue in your top left where he ultimately spoke. As I mentioned before, uh, the week leading up to his visit, um, pretty much overwhelming police presence descended upon our area. We took the time, especially in a higher ed environment, to have pre-briefings with all of our state, local, and federal partners that came in to help us. And we, we really, beyond the look, which is a little different from the uh, University of Florida Police Department, we really wanted these partners to come in with a friendly uh, kind of outgoing atmosphere. It's very difficult for the state troopers that you see in this to kind of have that. They're, they're usually more of an intimidating, like slow down kind of look. Um, but we worked very hard. As you can see, there's one officer uh, in the dark colored uniform. He's actually one of our officers that's kind of a guide that's with them. We did this for twofold reasons. One, to help them navigate around campus as a, as Nicole previously mentioned, we're a very large 
um, campus, almost 2,000 acres in size. And uh, even though these gentlemen in this photo are really good at running up and down the expressway, uh, we have several thousand buildings on our campus that they're not familiar with. And so we provided our officers to that group as pathfinders and also to help them kind of assimilate into the UF culture while they were here. And overwhelmingly, our student body uh, appreciated that presence. Um, and we've got, we got a lot of uh, support from students. They felt safe by having that overwhelming presence there with them. And Darren, um, two things. One, can you click the bottom uh, where it says Google Hangouts is sharing the screen? You said the word hide, yes, because sure. it was covering a little bit of the bottom of your um, slides. But did you say how, how th there was all these troopers on campus that day, and I, you said some of them visited before. Was there any kind of like walk around or things like that because of all these different buildings or? Uh, Absolutely. We, we, uh, we, when, they, when the troopers that you see in this slide here, they actually showed up a week early, um, approximately 500 of them. And we began to give them tours of campus and some of our own in-service training. One of the unique things about this event is that because there were so many different agencies involved, we had uh, combined briefings with a combined use of force agreement that was signed by all the chiefs, the sheriff, and the various uh, leaders of all the organizations we brought in. So we all trained on that, so we'd be on the same page. And then again, as I pointed out, we split them up into small teams and gave them tours of campus so they would be familiar with our area. That's great, and I imagine that has that could reap rewards if heaven forbid anything, um, any crisis struck that your that so many of the outside police are also familiar with your campus. Exactly. I mean, God forbid we have an active shooter or something here, but you know, one of the things that one of the benefits of this event that we had is now we have a much larger knowledge base of our campus community in the greater community and state law enforcement network. And so if we ever have an event like this again, or if we have an adverse incident like an active shooter, uh, we've built in the familiarity of our campus to these other stakeholders. So along with uh, the, the actual event day of, as you can imagine, and as you've seen around the country, uh, the presence of Mr. Spencer or just the, the uh, belief that he was coming also created quite a bit of civil uh, unrest in our community um, and led to uh, a lot of our students and community members protesting uh, leading up to the event. Um, and they did, in my opinion, they did a wonderful job of uh, not only condemning Mr. Spencer's message, um, but unlike some areas of the country, our protesters that we had were very peaceful in nature. Um, and I give them great respect and kudos for, for accomplishing their goal of uh, trying to counter his speech, but doing it in a very peaceful uh, way. Yeah, and I think part of that was because of our leadership um, and, and our, messaging, our messaging strategy was really based on our values and our belief system. 
you know, obviously this, this person does not represent anything that we stand for. Um, so, so regarding messaging, we wanted, we needed to provide very specific information about building closures and road closures and, and other things, but, but we also wanted to, to share what our values are. Um, so some of the, the consistent messaging that, that we repeated often was, um, first of all, the NPI and the speaker were not affiliated with UF. We, we didn't want to have anything to do with them, really. They weren't invited by any UF students or any UF groups. Um, but we also had to make sure people knew that as a public institution, we're required to provide access to, the pub, to our public space. Um, also, as, a, as higher ed, we wanted to make it very clear that we support free speech and we believe that civil debate and expression without censorship is really the bedrock of our democratic society, um, but that UF is a place where everyone is welcome and, and we don't condone hate. So we had, um, we had several communications channels where we did get information out. We have a Gator Safe app, which is, we have that all the time uh, where alerts are posted and we had regular emails and a statements page on our, on a web, our website. Um, and then obviously social media, which I'll, I'll talk more about in a bit. But our primary channel that we used to share information was through, through a website that we developed called, um, it's freespeech.ufl.edu. And this site really served as the call to action for all of our communications efforts and to help quell the rumor mill, which was rampant, as you can imagine, too. Uh, we chose this route of having a separate website uh, rather than posting information on our homepage because, well, first of all, the timing in the fall, we were expecting around 50,000 freshmen and transfer applications um, from students from all over the world, many of whom had no idea who Richard Spencer was and um, much less that he was coming to our campus. So we didn't want them to be alienated or form a wrong impression about UF because this person chose Gainesville to spew his hate. Uh, so some of the information that we posted on this site included everything from who invited him, how do you get tickets, uh, to classes being canceled, buildings closed, roads, roads closed, um, employees were worried about coming to work. We also, this, this venue closed off a major parking facility, so those who were coming to work wanted to know where they could park. Um, so there were a lot of things, and then there were lots of questions about the prohibited items list. And um, so anytime we posted any new information, I mean, um, we would note at the, at the front um, that it was new information, and then we would keep that note on this site there for 24 hours. So anyone scrolling through quickly could check for the latest information, and they would be able to find it very easily. We also had um, under that tab UF. First Amendment experts. We worked very closely with our faculty in the College of Journalism and Law, and um, and we have where we have experts there, and that's where we posted videos and other content to educate people, because there was a lot of confusion about what is hate speech and free speech and hate crimes. So we we took this opportunity to try and educate people also. And then on the far right, you see we have a section for media. And, um, and so I'll talk about the credentialing process that we went through in a couple minutes 
also. But in the month of October, we got 120,000 page views on the site. The most uh, viewed section was the Q&A, where the average time on that page was more than six minutes. So people were really using it as a resource. Now we've since modified some of the Q&A, and I can send you I can send you the um, the link, but or, or some the questions after this. But um, it is still up if you wanted to review. And we'll post some resources on the same page where everyone's watching this episode right now. And we'll tweet that out once they're posted. Thank you. Uh, so social media really was one of our essential tools. We use social media listening um, to help identify groups that were coming to town and organizations that were planning counter events. Um, we also listened for community reactions and, and all sorts of things. Um, we used the information that was shared on social to help inform law enforcement. Um, that also helped us develop our Q&A. We got a lot um, from our from parents who had concerns, and then also to help correct misinformation. That was that was really an important role, was to try and get the right information out and not let that propagate. And Our when you talk about listening, how did you do that functionally? I'm assuming you have some software that's helpful, but did your office do that, Nicole, or did Darren Darren's force do that, or was there a combination? I'm assuming. Yeah, that, that was that was, it was a mutual, everyone. Yeah, mutual effort. There there were. There was a statewide fusion center that we use that supports law enforcement that was really more focused on any incoming threat messages. Um, but in addition to that, uh, you know, anything that was public out there on the public domain, uh, Nicole staff and law enforcement, we tried to share that back and forth. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, it was a joint effort by all involved. Yeah. For sure. I, I think that that's if there's one takeaway, it's that this was a team, a team effort. Absolutely. So we're sitting here, but there were almost thousands of people um, with us. You no know? doubt. Um, so this is um, our, our president, uh, President Fox, already has a very large and loyal following on social, um, but he used his social channels to be a very highly and visible um, leader of the Gator Nation. And, and again, as, as Darren was saying, many of our protesters were very peaceful. He sets the tone. Dr. Fox really set the tone for that. Um, he recorded a video uh, message that's posted that was posted a week before the event that really reinforced our values of love and, and we're here for the public good. And he directed everyone uh, to the free speech website. And he made two specific requests on, on his video. And the first one was to not provide the spotlight to this group. Um, they, they are seeking that. So avoid the venue, stay away from it. But by avoiding the venue, don't let Spencer's message of hate go unchallenged. And, um, and so that was, uh, um, you can actually, you can find that online that and I can or I can send a link if, if that helps and then the day of the, the event on the right there is a screenshot of a uh, Facebook live that Dr. Fox recorded with his thoughts about the white nationalists and their whole game plan for all uh, public universities and and he he felt that and, and I think he's very accurate in this that white nationalists that are coming to our campuses are trying to create these counter protests against their right to speak so that they are portrayed as the ones who are being, the yeah, they're the victim, exactly. And, and that we're the ones that are trying to suppress free speech. Being intolerant. And yes, and, and our intolerance, exactly. 
And then, um, and then they also are trying to shut down our universities, um, canceling classes. They want us to cancel classes. They want us, they want teaching to come to an end because they know, and we all know that in reality, education and scholarship are their greatest threats to their future. Um, so really strong messages from him. And then he also, he also encouraged everyone to seize this moment and speak loudly to the national media that were on our campus about what we truly value and, and just silence the racists in that way. So that was um, social from, from internally, but externally, uh, you know, there were, there was lots of, there were lots of conversations that were underway. And actually, I think one of the funniest social um, efforts was initiated by a local pub here. So originally NPI uh, arranged for these tickets the, um, to the venue to be distributed by us at the Performing Arts Center box office. And, um, and they were gonna be, I think they were gonna start about five days or so before the event. Correct. Um, and then when word got out, um, I think, they, it wasn't supposed to get out, yeah. but it somehow it did. It leaked. Um, but when word got out that the tickets would be available there, Tall Pauls offered a free draft beer in exchange for two tickets to the event that they were going to destroy because the idea was they, we didn't want anyone in the venue. So Cameron Padgett, the, the planner um, on behalf of NPI, he learned about this actually through their own social media channels. And they changed their minds uh, at the last minute and decided to distribute their tickets themselves the day of the event. Um, so lots of social activity on our UF channels in a four day period around the event. We had almost 2.4 million impressions on Facebook and reached almost 1.4 million people. So this slide right here kind of illustrates uh, one of the other communication challenges we had. We we really took a tried to take a hard look at where um, civil disobedience, protest, or clashes of two opposing views had gone wrong at other locations. And one of the things that we thought that we could do to make that interaction safer is develop a very stringent uh, prohibitive items list. And this was somewhat controversial. Um, to the to some members of the community and even the ACLU threatened to sue us over this. Um, but it was our opinion in law enforcement and university administration that if we could disarm everyone of any potential weapon and the only thing that you could bring to the event was your thoughts and words, then perhaps we could pull this off and have a safer uh, type of event. And so one of our big communication challenges was getting this information out. And so on my level, uh, we made a, a, an early decision to put banners and signage up uh, well outside the event from where you would have to disembark from a vehicle and walk in. And then Nicole's team also did an excellent job of getting this out on social media and the website and other things um, so that we could avoid um, people showing up with uh, these prohibitive items. And then what do you do with it when you show up with it? And we didn't want that uh, to happen either. So um, this, was a, this was a big lift for us in the communications world to get that out. So as far as media goes, one of the important roles our office handled was media credentialing. Um, as a public institution, any media outlet can come on campus and report whatever and whenever they want. 
Um, but any journalists who that wanted to go inside the Phillips Center had to be credentialed. Now, candidly, NPI is an amateur operation. Um, and so we offer to facilitate the handling of media credentials um, on their behalf. And this allowed us to track the requests. Now, we didn't determine who was credentialed. NPI did that, but um, but we did we did know who was coming. We had about 300 media outlets that got credentials um, and from about half a dozen countries, including Japan, Sweden, Germany, the UK. I, I mean, I was saying that if if we in, in, um, find the cure to cancer, we will never get this kind of, of response. Sadly. Yeah, it really Negative was. Negative sells better than positive, unfortunately. Yes. So we allowed each media outlet to have two representatives credentialed. Um, we assigned the credentials to individual reporters um, or camera folks, whoever. Uh, they were not transferable. So everyone who was credentialed had to show a picture ID, and then they received a rubber wristband to go inside the event. We encouraged all media, though, to pre-register with us, even if they weren't trying to get credentialed. And then we could provide them with a bright pink press pass so that law enforcement could easily identify them. And that did offer them the opportunity to park a little bit closer to the venue and access the area from a separate entrance. And you see the, some of the parking in the satellite trucks here. Um, but journalists had to abide by the same rules as everyone else going into the area. So that prohibitive list prohibited list was um, was for them too. So no bags, no camera bags, no weapons, no bottles. And, and to say it's still hot in um, Gainesville, Florida in October would be an understatement. So, um, so not having water bottles was um, very difficult. And I, I think the other thing that was kind of um, sad to me was how many journalists and reporters came with security guards. Um, so, so they are definitely under attack also. Well, and one of the one of the big challenges we had with the media too, after they checked in with Nicole's group, is some of them disregarding the rules of the game that they were given by Nicole's group, chose to go now arm themselves with weapons and try to get into the venue. And so we actually had two members of the media that were arrested for carrying firearms trying to get into the to the thing. So um, I, 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 you know. Anytime you deal with media, uh, I have a lot of really good friends in the media um, in my formal life as a PIO, but uh, particularly media that don't have a relationship with you, some of the, the larger state or national media, um, they don't always play by your rules. So I would, I would encourage you to be highly skeptical um, and careful in your dealings with the media. Mm -hmm. um, we also set it up so they would come in at eight. They started lining up around five, 5.30. Um, so, and we did, we had some issues around that whole process, which we can share, but I know we're kind of running um, a little late, so we'll continue on. Um, as, as Darren had mentioned earlier, we did not cancel classes, but we knew that um, a lot of people were uncomfortable, but we, we made a conscious effort for this because this was our way to stand up to a hate and to make sure that this was an, as normal a day as possible our president was out and about, um, even though it's very eerily quiet on campus. Um, and so, got um, you know, he for those students who were here, he was out and um, and just trying to make people feel good. You see it there in the right bottom corner, um, get doing the gator chomp and and just talking to people, taking photos, selfies, etc. Um, our our Jewish 
Student Center created a good deed map for people who were on campus. And um, this is the center of campus, and, and this was for people to commit to doing something nice that day, and, and that, was, that was lovely. So, so our, the campus really, really came together in, in a very positive way. But then, um, so that was uh, you know, center campus, but then across campus, this, is, this was the scene. So this is kind of to give you a look of what it looked like the day of. Um, th this is the presence that you had out there. And again, even though it looks very overwhelming, um, and it was by design to, to, to make people feel safe, but it was also, we had looked at other past events around the country where protesters had got into clashes and people had gotten hurt. Uh, oftentimes in those events, law enforcement was outnumbered by the protesters. And so because we did not really know how many people would show up, um, we had roughly eight, eight or 900 officers uh, surrounding the venue the day of, along with uh, uh, spotter sniper teams and riot police and everything imaginable should the worst case scenario happen. So once you made it through all of the security uh, apparatus to get inside, um, again, I've probably never been prouder from our students that actually ran the gauntlet to go inside here. The vast majority of people that got tickets to this event walked to the front door, threw the ticket on the ground or symbolically dis discarded it um, and, and basically chose not to participate. But the ones that did make it inside overwhelmingly uh, treated them or, or carried out themselves in a, in, in my opinion, in a very good way. Um, they were very respectful of any uh, rules or, or orders from law enforcement about how to behave. But whenever Mr. Spencer or anyone from his team uh, tried to say pretty much anything, uh, they would begin chanting, you know, love, not hate, uh, and other positive messages uh, in, in an attempt, and I think they exceeded overwhelmingly uh, to shout out his message. So, and then another very unique dynamic outside the venue is we had a, a massive amount of people that showed up to counter his message of hatred. Um, and he had a very small group of people like the gentleman in the top, middle, and bottom middle scenes that showed up wearing swastikas or other symbols of hate. And so our challenge in law enforcement was to try to prevent um, those individuals from uh, colliding with the protesters. Uh, oftentimes we were successful. Uh, as the top center illustrates though, despite our best efforts to tell people to stay, uh, we had some that came together. And as you can see from this very uh, well-timed uh, camera shot, uh, there was some violence, but it was very minor as compared to other uh, outbreaks across the country that we've seen. And we were quickly able to step in and separate and remove uh, the people that were the most aggressive into this event. So as far as communication staffing on the day of the event, we had four locations where we placed communicators. We are, my team has, we have about 18 folks. 
um, and then we ended up with 36 volunteer communicators from across campus because we just couldn't do it all. We, we really tried this all hands on deck approach. Um, so the four areas, we had the Emergency Operations Center, which was um, really the core monitor, the place where the, the event was monitored and there were representatives from law enforcement and city officials, hospitals and our facilities. Um, so this this person really um, kind of heard the official accounts of what was happening and then reported back to us. We had somebody in the Joint Information Center. This was a small group of PIOs from UF, UFPD uh, and FBI and some other agencies. And this was really the communications hub. Um, and we had three people in there and they they really called everything. Um, so and they wrote any press releases, they handled the, um, they would call for a press conference if we needed that, and they also communicated the all clear when it was over. This here is actually um, our Tigert Hall, where, where we are today, and, um, and the focus of, of our team, and we had 25 folks, um, and we were there to maintain the image and reputation of the University of Florida. So we wanted to correct any misinformation quickly, our message development was related to the First Amendment narrative, not on the event or law enforcement. And so we had a series of roles, which um, I will send that document out so that you can see what we did there. The fourth place where we had um, communicators ready and at the, at the ready, I guess, was um, for a news conference. So we had prearranged all the logistics for a news conference in a location away from the Spencer event um, in case we had a major incident. We set that up two days before the event, thinking that they may come and protest or you know, you know who knows what they were planning to do. Um, and we kept it at the ready until the um, noon the day after the event. But we were set up with everything from the check-in desk, our, our step and repeat, as you can see there, the mic, the stage, we had reserved media parking um, all set up. We also tested all the satellite links, the Wi-Fi and any other IT logistics. Um, knowing that there would be a very heavy IT load. Um, and then we also had set it up where um, law enforcement would get the president wherever he was and bring him here. So this was uh, staffed by six um, communicators the day of the event. Um, so we had decided at the very beginning that unless there was egregious misinformation, we were not going to give any airtime air to this, this person or respond to his hate. As far as we were concerned, all of our social channels were on normal, um, you, you know, posting. Um, and so we, didn't, we just didn't want to give him the power or any credibility. Um, but at one point in his speech, he did, Spencer gave a shout out to our president saying that, that Dr. Fox stood with him. And that's the only thing that, um, that Dr. Fox even acknowledged in order to disavow it. And that we were able to handle real time um, via, via social. And that's actually, this, this is the most retweets he's ever gotten. We also talked about a, um, a virtual tour and, um, uh, or a virtual assembly. And this is um, social, I'm sorry, student affairs had planned this, so this was an option for people who did not go to the event. And then, um, you know, we were really just fortunate that the day passed without incident. And so, um, so we wanted to make sure that, that we could um, share our own narrative about the, about the event. 
and take back our campus. And so one of the beautiful moments after the event was over was our Caroline um, played Lift Every Voice, which is the Black American National Anthem to convey a message of unity. Um, so we, in between the months of August and December, we got 80,000 media mentions. And um, so, and it's still going. I mean, as of yesterday, it was, it was still reported. So key takeaways, you know, I think the, the key is preparation and, and working together. Um, but it's, it, it's use as much time as you have. And then it's not over when it's over. Write your own history about it. And then here are just some thoughts and ideas for you right now um, as you, if, if this happens or in order for you to prepare well, when it's not a crisis, but just know what, what your policies are, your communications plan, and, and be prepared in that way. Great. Great. Well, well, so I'm going to ask you to come back on screen. I encourage everyone listening to um, tweet if they have any questions with the hashtag Higher Ed Live. I have a few questions. Um, but I'm seeing myself twice on the. Yeah, now I'm trying to. Where do I? So, okay, there we go. There's you. Okay. Hello. <laughs> so, um, you really both spoke really well about your coordination with others who are not on your campus. And I'm thinking that a lot of the people watching and listening, you know, we know the players on our campus, but we might not necessarily know who to speak to outside. Who would you say are no matter the scale of something like this, the most important outside entities to be in contact with when a controversial speaker is coming? My gosh, there are many. Well, yeah, it depends on, so it depends from the law enforcement perspective. You know, I believe that you've got to be partners with your local sister agencies, either be the city police, your sheriff's department in your area. And then in addition to that, you know, don't wait for a crisis to also know who to call at the state and federal level. You know, luckily we, we work on a lot of task force here at the University of Florida with these other partners. So, and we have pre-established relationships with them. They were tested massively for this event, but luckily the vast majority of those people that I worked with, I already knew from other very smaller events or other things had assisted them in the past. Um, so I didn't have to reinvent that network for this. And so if you, you know, if you're new in your position, wherever you are today watching us, I would encourage you now before this, you know, storm of crisis hits your campus one day, and it will, um, to go ahead and make those connections, you know, call those people up, offer to take them to lunch, network, attend, you know, co-trainings with them. Um, and, and then also, to me, my relation, my experience as a former PIO I think it's also important for us in law enforcement to have good working relationships, uh, both internally with our communicators at the University of Florida, but also uh, externally in the, the local media market here um, and try to build and maintain those relationships. You know, we're a, we're a college town and so they, they, they do turn over quite a bit because we have a school of journalism. And so there's new reporters coming on all the time. Um, and I constantly tell my folks, you know, don't ignore those people. That could be Andrea one day that's very, you know, famous and now going on and doing something really big and cool. Um, just because they're a student reporter, don't ignore them, you know, and so you've got to build those relationships. And I was one of those student reporters and I said and asked woefully embarrassing questions Absolutely. when I look back on but it. You know, I, and, I, and I try to embrace that because, you know, part of, you know, the educational function for us in higher ed law enforcement 
is when you get that naive student reporter come in and ask the question that's like, really? You know, if you can either answer that way or you can take the time to educate them up on the issue and then lo and behold, you oftentimes get a really good positive story out of it. So I've always tried to take that approach with it, with it, with that issue. I, I think additionally, you need to make sure that you've got your community um, relations folks on hand so that they can talk to businesses around the around the campus. We made sure to do that and keep them updated. Your government relations. Our our governor wanted to know. Um, Frequently and Every often, day. yes. What what was going on? How we were planning? What we were doing? And he was he was very supportive. So those those people are very important. Like you mentioned, the media, your communicators on campus, your parents, admissions, um, your dean of students, your student affairs. It's it's truly a a mass effort. And I know a lot of people watching might not be at the, an institution your size. I mean, there's not that many institutions your size. My university is a, le a flagship and we're half your size. Um, and so there's institutions where people have one, two person, three person teams. But I liked the, the mention of the volunteers from across campus. I mean, is I assume that's something you'd recommend to anyone, you know, even if people aren't communicators by definition, they may be administrative assistants, they may be in a different role, you know, that you can tap people to try and, and add to the effort. Absolutely. And, and the other thing that you can do in your planning for this is also do some um, either tabletop or, excuse me, full scale exercise. And those volunteers, you can cross train them in some of these very key areas that you're concerned about along the way in those either tabletops or full-scale exercises, um, you know, all you have to do is pick up any source of media nowadays. There's always something going on in a higher ed you know, environment every day, oftentimes, unfortunately, negative. As Nicole said, I think we could cure cancer tomorrow and not have this much attention. So um, take that opportunity, you know, use that as a tool to, to build your team. And, you know, it might be that their day job is something totally different than whatever it is that they may have a passion for or skill set for, but use it to your advantage whenever you can. It'll build your team. Mm -hmm. We have a we have a UF Communicators Network here that we communicate with regularly. Anyway, we've got because communications here on our campus is decentralized, and so we want to make sure that they know what the strategic priorities are. So that definitely helped us in this situation because we already had the names and the email addresses and contact information to kind of share and disseminate that information. What we found was oftentimes because of this two-way communication with the communicators, um, our communicators were actually more in, in, um, informed than their deans were, and they were sharing information with their deans. Um, what about consulting the legalities? You said you worked with your general counsel's office. Um, because some schools are public like yours and some are, are private and even the public schools have different levels of requirements for free speech on, on campus and, and how, who you have to invite and are allow in. Um, I mean, is the best suggestion there that, that communicators should talk to their um, general counsel and if they don't have a general counsel, they should also potentially reach out to like their state attorney general's office to know what their responsibilities are so that they're not criticized for doing the wrong thing with speakers? Absolutely. I mean, I would completely agree with you, Andrea, that, you know, it's all local. So wherever you're at today listening to this presentation, um, we can give you what we used as best practices 
but we were a lockstep with our general counsel, our state attorney general's office, um, even with our prohibitive items list that we featured in this presentation, um, we got with our local state prosecutor's office to make sure that if we did this, um, that if we had to take police action against someone with one of those prohibitive items, that we could actually legally enforce that. And I know in some communities, um, that may not, you may not have that support. And so you may have to employ a different tactic. So I do think it's really important to be lockstep in with your, whatever it is that's available to you, your legal advice. And even, even something like we live in a very liberal um, sunshine state as far as public records access. And so communications, email communications could potentially be open to the sunshine. So we wanted to make sure that we knew what was and what wasn't going to be made available, especially to a group that could ask for our communication or our security plan. Um, so, so we looked at all of that and, and again, so that was, that was critical. So, so even your security plan was something that could be made available after the fact. Well, part, portions of it, yes, but there's some exemptions in the Florida uh, public records law that allow us to shield some of it. But we, we are so aware of that aspect of living and working at a public institution in Florida that we almost plan for that going into these types of events. And so we're very careful and strategic about what we put down in, in certain things that so we know that we can protect that and then other things we know we're going to have to share anyway. So lesson learned is to be careful what you write, you know, and then those kind of communications. So we just got our last public records request was about three weeks ago, actually. So we're still getting them. Um, and we have made, I think uh, they said 576 pages of emails available for free if somebody puts forth a request at this point about the event. Wow. Um, switching gears, what about sign offs? What you sent the communicators were in four different spaces. Was there, I'm assuming there was canned messaging beforehand, but then how was, how were sign offs handled as things unfolded rapidly? Right. So we had, we actually had prepared some, some releases and some statements um, for different scenarios. Um, so, so that did help us um, act quickly. There was uh, a very small group of people who were able to approve. And so it was um, general counsel, of course, um, the, our main, our lead communicator who did a, a fantastic job. Um, our president was very involved. So, so we had identified that on the front end. Yeah, and, and we reserved in law enforcement, there was, there was certain things that we handed off to the university, but if it had to do do with specifically a law enforcement thing, uh, we reserved kind of that for our PIO and or our JIC that was our, the all the agency's representative um, so that there would be no confusion about the difference between more of a branding image issue that Nicole's team and the university would handle, handle versus an arrest situation or something like that where law enforcement was clearly take the lead and handle that uh, communication. What about your regular communications throughout the day? You said that your social media channels were teed up to do day-to-day -day business um, and same thing with your website, um, which I thought was great and brilliant. You know, if you're, that's the front door to your institution and you want prospective students to see your best, your best, not, not what was going on. Um, were, were you just going about communication business as much as possible since your team was so tied up? 
we couldn't because we were tied up, but the rest of campus. So there are about 300 communicators on campus. Um, so they were continuing on with theirs. So, so we were um, trying as much as possible to keep it a normal day, but there wasn't a lot of other stuff coming from, from the main channel that day. Okay. I um, think some of the other strategy though, when like for instance in, at the police department, and then other areas of campus, if you had a really positive story to try to get out mm -hmm. to combat his message, we tried to do that. Yes. But then at the same time, if there were other messages, like we were in the midst of launching a big capital campaign at the university, we didn't want those two things to take away from each other. And so we had a lot of very strategic discussions about perhaps holding some of those other big announcements until you know after this storm blows over, so to speak, um, and so you've got to be thinking about all of those things. You don't want to announce some big new initiative on the same day that you're going to make national news for whatever. It'll just get drowned out. So, um, you know, you've got to you've got to have that 40,000 foot kind of tactical awareness of what's going on. And at UF, we're, we are so big, as you pointed out, Andrea, that you know, we have so many silos. Sometimes it's you, you may not even know about another silo, their big project they're about to do. And you're, you know, marching down the road towards Spencer, but they're about to announce the cure to something or a new breakthrough and whatever. And so it's, it, it is quite a challenge for us at this institution this size. Um, my one last question is, what kind of feedback did you get after the fact? Uh, it was it's all been very, great. very good feedback so far. Yes, it, it really has. I think PR-wise, we um, anytime that that any of these kind of um, controversial speakers are mentioned. They always talk about uh, Spencer's visit to the University of Florida, and they always talk about how well this event went. Um, I will say before the event, not so good. You know, lots of anger, lots of emotions, but after it, it's been very, very good. Um, and so you see that. So I, I think we also took the advantage because we had 300 international media outlets to introduce ourselves to those reporters and say, hey, when he's gone, we've got some other pretty cool stuff happening here. Right. Um, so, so, and we've been able to capitalize on some of those relationships that we fostered at that event since then. So it's been very good. Well, great. I think you deserve all the great feedback that you've gotten. And actually just, I don't even have any questions coming in from Twitter other than people saying thank you and applauding your efforts. So um, I, with that, we'll kind of wrap up. I do want to thank you to our guests, Nicole Yucht and Darren Baxley. Excellent presentation. I think I'm going to watch it back myself. Um, and thanks as always to our program sponsor, PRSA's Counselors to Higher Education. Don't forget to follow and engage with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we appreciate you joining us for this special edition of Higher Ed Live. Thank, Thank you. you for having us.